0: took over bringing it all together and I just realized Steve that I forgot to put my headphones on so uh, I'm probably going to have to uh, grab those and uh, pass it to you for a second while I fumble around and put my headset on but uh, welcome back to the show Steve how are you Good to be here. and I, I'm going to turn this down a bit so you don't feedback loop into it and drive everybody crazy You shouldn't do that, yeah, I <laughs> I didn't think mind. right? I, I, I uh, you know what? They're not going to be able to hear you. I just realized because uh, the uh, audio isn't set properly. Just a second. So hold on. Now they should be able to hear you. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? I'm can sure that yeah, now? I'm sure they can hear you now. Go ahead and say something again.
1: Well, a question came yeah. up from a viewer. Yeah. Basically, uh, he was being challenged by friends of his who were Catholics, uh, and I'm sure in all charity they were meant well, but they were challenging the idea of whether the Dead Sea Scrolls proved anything or not, or whether the the whole idea of which was the authentic language at the time of Christ and thing and that type of thing. And I realized in reading his questions and something that there was a deeper question here that perhaps I hadn't addressed before. And I thought maybe if you, I sent you a copy and we kind of agreed, well, maybe it might make a good topic for a show. So.
0: Yep. And, uh, and then you were like, shoot, why did I do that?
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, is that it really comes down to, and it, as we've been talking, we've been talking a little bit before here, is that there's lots of ways you can track this Gnosticism, but it always has a similar pattern. So this is this is the pattern I'm seeing. I'm seeing. I'm sure other people could come up with other ways, but what you'd have to see is why, why in the late early '50s to, to early '60s and stuff, this is all a necessary thing to do to to kind of prod people into abandoning religion and going into something more Gnostic. Uh, at the the real question that he brought up is, what what basis do we have to believe what was the language of Christ and what was the language of the early church? He he approached a friend of his, and basically told him about the old Greek the Greek New, old Testament the Greek New Testament, and the friend replied, well if they wanted to know Hebrew all they had to do is go to the synagogue because people in the synagogue spoke and wrote in Hebrew. And I s- tried to show him that there's a real problem with that. And, and not that it couldn't have happened. But so I gave him several several examples that I'd like to go through here. And I'm to kind of put the conclusion at the beginning here. The conclusion is, that so people can maybe see an, an, a, a concept behind this, is most would equate gnosticism going all the way back to zoroastrianism but zoroastrianism was dualism but not quite real full-fledged gnosticism what had to happen was there had to be another ingredient added to that and the other ingredient that was added around 100 bc or somewhere in there somewhere between zero and 150 or so was this gnostic ingredient that reality wasn't real that reality was an illusion and was something you did not take seriously So the thing is, you go back into all these things. You have kind of a stepped process here, and the stepped process is that Judaism is a really, by all means, uh, more of a naturalist religion. It's a more of a material based religion, and so when people go back to early Judaism, they don't think of it in terms of as being a Gnostic religion. And probably rightfully so. And the same thing happened with the church. Is you go back to the church and it, it, you had a similar type thing going on. But by the time you get to the first century, you start seeing Gnostic uh, behavior blooming in both of them. In in Judaism, you start seeing the the, the blooming of the Kabbalah, and in as time goes on, you see in Christianity, you see this blooming of, of what most people would call hermeticism, or something like that. And, and we
0: had the- and we had traced that back on the show, uh, you know, before with Todd as stemming, as I hit myself in the face, as stemming out of uh, Sufi Islam and some of the uh, influences going on in Spain and France at the time, and in sure, uh, sure. sort of leaking into. Uh, Christianity and Judaism, and then of course uh, what we found was that all of it was then blamed on Judaism as the source rather than on Sufism and Islam and Gnosticism.
1: But to to, to put a kind of a cap around this, because then the rest of the discussion can flow out from that, is that there were not always Gnostic elements within the church, and there was always Gnostic elements within Judaism. And so by the mid-last century, mid-20th century, it clearly became an idea that if the church went back and looked at found the Gnostic sources in Judaism and looked at, at that for validation, and the Jews did the same, Gnostic Jews looked the same thing, well, let's go back to the early church and find Gnostic sources as validation for our thing, you could come up with a synthesis of what we might call modern Judeo-Christianity, all validated by early Christianity, all validated by early Judaism, but Gnostic elements with that, and disregarding the non-Gnostic elements together. And so what happens, you have seminaries and things since the 60s, all advocating this ultra-liberal version of Christianity, all the ultra-liberal version of religion, not noticing that there's, it's not just my, as I said to your viewer, I sent them an email, I could be 100% wrong on the Dead Sea Scrolls. It doesn't change anything because... Many people have done research on this and when Christ quotes the Bible when he quotes scripture it's he's quote, quoting what's called the Septuagint which was written about 270 BC and was entirely in Greek nowhere whether it existed or not nowhere very seldom does Christ quote anything close to Hebrew scripture he quotes Greek scripture, scripture that was part of the old testament of that time period so What I'm trying to say is they appeal to to sympathetic branches in both sides, presented that to the world at large as if that was the authentic Judeo-Christianity, and we've kind of bought into that scheme ever since.
0: Right. You know, and I had mentioned to you uh, earlier this Bible that I have. This is the apostolic Bible polyglot, which is Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting thing. But what this Bible does is rather than translate the old testament back to the hebrew which you and i have discussed it appears that uh, the old testament sources as far as the printing of it goes go back to about 700 a.d is that correct uh
1: the, the old test yeah the old testament from all normal start in any church history you want to take really is is a somewhat of a legend And in the Babylonian exile, right, whether they had it or not, there's not really any documentation. One of the things that I sent the viewer was a quote from the Sanhedrin, basically saying that they didn't know what the original Hebrew was like. They had lost it all. When Ezra wrote it, he came up with a a new language of some sort. And then by 270 B.C., whatever that language was, it's translated into Greek.
0: So what I'm showing on screen here is the Old Testament from this Bible. And what they do in this Bible is every word is cited to the Greek and to the Greek Strong's concordance rather than, if I can get it in focus there, rather than to the uh, Hebrew, Right. Uh, interestingly enough. But yeah, it was in focus for a second. So, you know, I just always thought that unique and interesting, and I was working on a theory that I mentioned to you a couple few years ago that the Bible was out of order, or the order reversed, and uh, you had, you know, corrected me and and sort of given me additional information on how it's sort of partially right, but not uh, correct. Do you want to?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's really what ventures into the Dead Sea Scrolls. All the even Jewish scholars, when the scrolls came out, said this is the wrong order that the Hebrew script that the scrolls were written in, really most of it primarily dates from the 7th or 8th century, when the first, uh, by that time the Jews themselves had pretty much forgotten how to speak their own language, and so they had to put, you look at Hebrew, they'll have all these markings above, and that, that are keys to pronunciation, to, and and so all these texts that they were finding, at least the initial text, they are looking at, well, why why, if this was a language that everybody spoke, why do they have these proddings of these, these accent marks and things that didn't appear till you know, another five, six centuries? So where that appears is what's called the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text, any, as I've told you many times, most of the stuff you just got to look up, but most people don't know where or how to look it up. But if you know to look it up, you can just look it up. Uh, the Masoretic text really doesn't appear about the eighth century. That's the oldest we have. That's and, and you that's and I
0: AD, not BC AD, correct. And you and I agree at this point. And I'm I used to be somewhat of a amateur Dead Sea Scrolls expert. And I'm John Allegro's publisher, as you know, who is, of course right. was one of the original eight members of the Dead Sea Scrolls team. And uh, I've I used to know uh, Dr. Robert Eisenman, who uh, is who can be credited or blamed for getting the dead sea scrolls published through the huntington uh, library or he got them from the huntington library or whatever finally got them released to the public but uh, you and i concur that there is a very large chance that the dead sea scrolls are complete frauds
1: and i would and the thing is is what i would say is that sounds outrageous to most people right but the main at this problem, at
0: this point yes but and, I, and, talking- and just to say, they haven't been through the whole process of understanding the intentional distortion of Christianity and of the biblical text, et cetera, and to do that and to create the false impression of Christ and whatnot. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls had to be
1: inserted. Right. Well, and if, what what I was just saying though too is that it seems like I'm putting something out that would be outrageous, but my proof really is consistent with other, other things. Like I said about the Septuagint, they, the language of Christ in the Bible was Aramaic and Greek. Aramaic is not Hebrew. It's very linked, but Aramaic literally is the lingua franca of of Persia, which they would have picked up when they were in the Persian exile. So the thing is, it may sound like I'm promoting something outrageous, but all I'm really doing is, as I sent a link to you, uh, the professor is Grant Jones, and anybody can look this up, and he has a paper written called The, the Notes on the Septuagint. Where is this out. link? Uh, it's in the middle of the I'm email. Pre- yeah, in the email. Uh,
0: okay, here it is. I mean, uh, no, wait, 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 so um
1: ariopage.net pdf lxx notes february 06 pdf got it
0: here i'm pulling it up here for the audience just a second
1: he does a very in-depth study of all the usages that Christ quotes scripture and and in the dead sea scrolls themselves too and he shows the, the massive preponderance of them quoting the septuagint and not the hebrew scriptures the Hebrew scriptures just do, do not line up with qu- Christ's quotations. And re- when you think about it, if you see what I'm saying, anything I'm saying about the Dead Sea Scrolls only affirms that. It's not flying in the face of anything. Go ahead. Well, the dates are all wrong. I mean, that's you're, what you said before is they're out of order is not far off. Something's significantly out of order. And the only thing that you can really prove, the the intent has to be somewhat of a fraud to make people think that Gnosticism was somehow the original religion. My, my, I'm going to... Yeah, and that's exactly, you know, so,
0: okay, so let's just, before you go on with that thought, so after the Dead Sea Scrolls are found, a few years after that, what what happens is then in Egypt, they find the... uh, the Nag Hammadi or Gnostic texts. A little
1: bit before, about practically the same time.
0: But yeah, but they're discovered, quote unquote, or, you know, whatever. But I, you know, at this point, with what we know, it looks like they could have easily been faked and planted just like the Dead Sea Scrolls. The purpose
1: of them all, whether they're useful or not, is to somehow vindicate the Hermetic text, the Corpus Hermeticum which was introduced in the council of florence i think it's 1434 1435 the idea was it was presented as a third testament and it was a gnostic testament from that you get this spin off you, you, you get the cathars you get all these different things about that same period cathars were a little bit before but it's all it's all this idea of you know everything in in christianity everything in any wholesome thought system is based on the, the conveyance of some sort of reality if you can convince the public that there's a mythological element to all these things which that's primarily most churches these days teach to think, you know all of christianity all of judaism as a somewhat of a mythology
0: right that, rather than understanding logos which is where we get logic from and the word logos is the word reason etc well, Th- thank you, you, can, uh, you for the evidence, donation there <laughs>
1: If you can take evidence and pr- promote it as mythology, it's, what is the public to do with that it's, it's except be Gnostic?
0: Right. Well, and this is the whole idea. And then what they do is run with that. Oh, well, Christianity is about, you know, this guy floating on a throne in space rather than understanding that it's literally about truth versus lies. God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. The, he sets the example of how we're to live to build a highly functioning society. And then Satan is the father of all lies. So then you have uh, these guys like my former co-host and Richard Dawkins and the people at the Royal Society, the members of the Royal Society, promoting this hyperbole of perennial philosophy, perennial tradition, as Huxley put it out, which was all a spin that reality doesn't exist. It's all based on primacy of consciousness. Uh, you know, the inner God versus the outer God as the Gnostics and Sufis have. Then we have like like this fraud uh, professor that I had on my show for episode number one uh, 12 years ago, uh, Professor Carl Ruck, who created the word entheogen, which means to generate God within. So the inner God of the Sufi-Gnostic perennial philosophy thing that they were uh, promoting, trying to get people to think that reality isn't real, you can't know anything, the quantum physics nonsense and then from there uh if they can get you you know to believe that you know everything like Huxley's doors of perception you shouldn't believe anything that of uh, from reality that your five senses are bringing you you have to shut off your five senses and here's some CIA drugs you know some Gordon Wasson and sub subproject 58 psychedelic mushrooms whatever the case may be to Find God rather than uh, understanding that truth or Logos itself is God. So then they take the whole thing and they invert it, and then want you to believe that there is no reality, like you said a minute ago, and that and thank you Lee uh, for the donation there, and that everything is based on well you know the the idea of primacy of consciousness that the liberal left takes up and these pseudo-spiritualists is the most egoic of all. It's that you are God. And, you know, rather than God existing and we're all created in God's image and God is truth or logos through the light of truth, it's that, you know, we are God and that you don't even have the right to exist, Steve, that you're just a reflection of me and anything bad that happens to me is because I put that negative energy out there, you know. Which
1: all it all sounds preposterous, but where I one of the places where I got started on this is a, a professor that I was a close friends with actually did his doctorate at Marquette University. And I've got the I've got his paper. His paper and it was much heralded at the time in the in the 80s when he wrote it that and he literally says that in the paper. And you know, you'd think that in a place like Marquette University, which is a Jesuit university, that they would claim that as heresy. No, he got a PhD on it. And he literally <laughs> says that. Well, and it is p-
0: heresy is the irony, you know. Well, and
1: the thing is, I saw him as being, you know, the quintessence of something evil because in a way he closed the loop a lot of other theologians couldn't. He got his doctor literally closing this loop yeah. Uh, people but, are, but people other, are having
0: fun with it and in the chat. I am God and you are a reflection of me.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, that it, it sounds preposterous, but I'm right, telling but, you. But that's that, it, that's, it, that's, that's that literally it. the
0: whole thing of
1: the whole leftist the the
0: pro- new age philosophy and all of that is they literally, it's all based on primacy t- of consciousness.
1: I'm going to take it one step further. Though, all right. Right. I think everybody's a little bit missing. Okay. And the, is that how do you take all these people in the world? This is the primary question. How do you take all these people in the world who've never studied philosophy, who don't give a rat's ass about philosophy, and all of a sudden turn them into Gnostics? You, know, well, you,
0: you give them LSD and mushrooms and, and tell them to navel gaze you know, and meditate on their belly button. Well, I
1: think it's much easier than that. I think, <laughs> I think what you do is you take reality and just turn it all into lies. You, you, make, you make people doubt basic things. You make people become very skeptical about you know, one of the professors that I had said, you know, uh, 50, 100 years ago, people would ask these big questions. Now, you know, students, when they're asked the big questions, are wondering if they exist. Uh, Anyhow, where I started... So
0: what what MK just said in the uh, chat there was, you know, it's narcissism. It's the ultimate, it's the highest form of narcissism, really. Absolutely. 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 It's like, it's like, uh, you know, Muhammad's narcissism, which is what Islam is all about on the whole you know uh, Islam rejects um reality as well for the perennial philosophy and then
1: well Islam actually creates a, a war between reality I mean right there, it, it's actually and anybody who Neha. doesn't
0: believe their will is God or Allah is God is you know Muhammad's will uh, or halal the Jesus.
1: The jihad is not necessarily with us. The jihad is. Oh no!
0: You should see our shows on jihad. We went through all of the Sharia law and what it actually says. It's
1: it's actually a war of 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 reason with reality. It's it's. it's
0: Well, they're not allowed to reason, you know. And but we, you know, when you have a chance, go back and watch the last three shows we just did on jihad and Ibn what's his name, and it's like wow, Ibn. uh, Ibn, uh, sorry, Lloyd is probably shaking his head right now. Ibn, 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 Ibn Taymiyyah, Jihad Explained. And we go through all of the Sharia texts, and this guy Ibn uh, Taymiyyah was one of the top 20, 25 Islamic uh, imam experts, you know. Uh, And uh, we should, you know, he goes through, it's all about murdering the non believers, you know, that like 90 some percent of the texts.
1: I'd like to back up here a little bit, though. All right. I didn't. I didn't start out writing a book on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Where I, I'm going to show you a book, another book that your guest, that you're, the person we're talking about, actually bought. Uh, okay. Yeah, authenticating Christianity. All right. So when I learned all this stuff and I was taught this stuff, I realized that it, the average person is not going to read these heavy philosophy books. So the way they got into this understand when you go to a seminary, they're basically today going to teach you that Greek thought is the Gnostic thought, that Hebrew thought is the authentic thought, the the nuts and bolts of things. And so when they come down to Logos, they see that that is a kind of a natural blending with Christianity, with Judaism. They They don't see it at all. So the first task in this book was basically to document how the idea of Logos was deeply embedded into the Jewish culture and so the, uh, let me get another book here um this is a very important book
0: the jewish targums and john's logos theology
1: right and he's showing that you know if you look at the bible logos is really only brought up very sparingly primarily once in the new testament So I asked the question, where did the Jews, if this was authentic, where did they get this all from? Well, modern Judaism is kind of all all based on the Talmud, and they disregard the Targums entirely. Uh, The Targums are, what you see in the Targums is, the Targums are literally the Jewish commentary on scripture at the, you know, around the time of Christ. And what they're doing at that time period, they're going all the way back to Moses, where Moses meets God and says, "I am." They're changing that wording from logos to the word of, or from just God. They had I, they had several names for God, but they they started using a specific name, which was the word of God, or the word of the Lord, and thing, and, and and so you start getting the, the blooming of this concept of God as the word. So what they're doing is gradually emerges this concept in Judaism that time that the God that the God in your head is one God, the God over here is another God. They're all versions of the same God. But when God manifests himself in reality, that's the God, the word. Okay. So, and by the time that of Christianity shows up the Targums document, that this was deeply involved in Hebrew thought that, God man is about to manifest himself somehow, and that God would be called the Word.
0: Which would now, be Jesus incarnate.
1: Right. Yeah, or logos,
0: now, logos incarnate in Jesus, sorry.
1: Right. Well, and what I, what I explained to the viewer was that now how do you get, he wanted to know what was the, the word for Logos in Hebrew. Well, the, the fact of the matter is John equates those two. John is first, when you read John 1, he's literally paraphrasing Genesis 1.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite passages, uh, John one one through seventeen.
1: Right. That used to be in the in the church. They used to call that the last gospel, and the last gospel used to be read at the end of every service. Wow. Uh, and and I, it would be a great tradition. I think everybody should do that. Well, but, yeah, you know, the, maybe maybe, maybe
0: when talking. we, I was just going to say, maybe when we close the show, we should read John one one through seventeen.
1: That that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because
0: that that really summarizes what it's all about it's like well, he's making
1: logical he's making a logical equation here what he's saying is what the jews were calling the word god the word is now god the logos and god the logos i give to you in the flesh is what he's saying
0: right At which, and which and then it defines it as well in the in those passages there you know and, right. and, if, if and he's like it, john came to present it but he wasn't it you know
1: well, how, and how would you screw that up? I mean, that, that's <laughs> but they have, right? and oh. so that—that that was really F. C. Bauer and a few other modern theologians. Since that, that basically try. And I'm going to show you another book here that people people can maybe stop for. Uh, this one's called the Heresy of Orthodoxy. If you want to read about this, this is and this is all academic scholarly stuff. Wow,
0: uh, that'll piss off the Russians.
1: right well it's actually meant the other way what it really says is that orthodoxy was right that everybody calls it heresy and these are written by calvinists actually oh really it's a very good book yeah it's showing it actually documents this whole thing we're talking about uh anyhow what you see is i i think you're right in the sense that people who are attracted to new age people are attracted to drugs and they 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 have this built in need for this gnostic personality or something like that right that does that doesn't explain how the joe average in the street who isn't interested in any of this stuff all of a sudden has this gnostic take on the world why why are they all well
0: yeah well i mean you know it was there was heavy influence and this is just from my personal research and you can interject here but From my personal research, it was a concerted effort by the CIA uh, through the the 60s counterculture, through the drug movement, through which I've documented Gordon Wasson, Timothy Leary, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, whom were all uh, British MI6 and CIA, and just this rolling out of this whole philosophy. uh, You know, frauds like uh, the like hippie philosopher Alan Watts, uh, Gregory Bateson, who helped uh, kick off the CIA. Um, you know, Aldous Huxley, another big uh, uh, primacy of consciousness fraud, uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti. And then all of these guys kind of got heaped into the CIA's MKUltra program and then pushed out into society through organizations like the, the CIA front group uh, up in Big Sur, Northern California, the, uh, the Esalen Institute. To I um, wouldn't
1: deny any of that. I mean, that's...
0: yeah, to to promote this whole thing out to society. So then you've got people being steered away from Christianity and logos and God is truth. To you know, it is whatever you make it, and it's just you know this whimsical sort of very fairy, you know, crystals and you know, uh, whatever, to, yeah, I you would... know, yeah. Thank you. Somebody just mentioned Terrence McKenna. Can't forget that clown. And yeah. you know, so all of this stuff then. Culminates throughout the the counterculture to where now your average drug user is caught up into this stuff, but they not only are caught up in it; it's become synonymous.
1: Well, and what I'm what I'm proposing though is something a bit deeper, and that I think this is nothing new. Uh, what I do go into in this book, for instance, is how what the real story is betwi- behind the Holy Grail. What's the real story behind uh, the Shroud of Turin and stuff like that? and then how these things have been kind of Gnostified, if, if that's a well, word. And
0: I, well, sure, you know, and I'm guilty of it, too. You know, I showed you the cover of my book that I wrote in uh, the, in my early 30s, arguing that, uh, you know, uh, astrotheology and shamanism, Christianity's pagan roots. Now I've come out, you know, a couple of years ago saying it was the opposite. Paganism came out of Christianity, and I got duped into thinking it was the opposite. But you... Take,
1: take the Holy Grail. The, the Holy Grail starts at there was a siege put on Constantinople because the king, uh, what happened is he he, he got forced out of the throne. He appealed to one of the crusades at the time, the Catholic Church stepped in and reinstalled him on the throne, and he refused to pay him off. So they put a siege on the city, as what they did is they bartered for payments, and so what they bartered for was all the relics of Christianity that they had, you know, it's the catalog was something like 22, 23 relics that were there that got shipped off to France uh, to put in such chapelle in Paris. But the thing was, at that time, you had you had the Cathars that were advocating a very Gnostic version of this. This whole episode, in fact, some scholars actually think that they would have they, that they stole the shroud of Turin. And so it later appeared in history.
0: Yeah, and you and I have done a show on that. And, you know.
1: Right. But when you look at this, all all the the, the Holy Grail episode starts with writers that participated in that siege and that war. But by the time you get to France and by the time you get to Germany, the French version is clearly based on something somewhat real. They're trying to, you know, you don't have TV, you don't have, so obviously legends start and things like that but there actually was a King Arthur in France or Britain, Brittany. Uh, there actually was, we talked about that, but now you look at the German version and the German version is very Gnostic. They don't see it as a reality thing. They see it as a stone, like in Islam, or they see it as a thought. Uh, so you, you have these competing forms of the, the, the Holy Grail. Well, that,
0: doesn't that kind of make sense with Hegel and that kind of stuff coming out yeah. of Germany, which then becomes the foundation of, of this quantum physics hyperbole stuff that we're dealing with today, that all the kids sure. flock to the universities to study, which is just right. more perennial philosophy, you know. And, and just to interject here, uh, a couple other names that uh, should be mentioned in that whole thing was uh, uh,
1: Dick. Well, me.
0: <laughs> Dick Alpert or, or you know uh, or Ramdas, uh, who just died recently. Robert Anton Wilson was another guy and i've shown over the last decade that all these people worked for the cia you know and it's not ram das it was that he he was a homosexual and he 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 it was Ramdas, and he said it ram das to make it sound spiritual you know
1: right right. well and you get get you get into the the cambridge apostles you you know about them
0: Mm, no maybe i've heard of it vaguely i i don't know i'd have to look in the in the database
1: you surely have heard of Keynesian economics. Oh, of course. Well, and I can't think of his name right now, but he was the the surveyor of the Queen's jewelry and art during World War II, and was a Nazi. Uh, I could come up with the name. Off, I can't come up with the name off the top of my head, but the whole thing was a put-up. Uh, there, there's several books on. Um, I think the name of the book was called Spy Catcher. It was written by. The guy who actually caught them in World War II. But they were heavily Gnostics. They were all politically gay.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. You know, and here, so I'm just showing the database on screen London School of Economics. They're all tied into the Fabian Society and whatnot. But uh, who was it you were just talking about? Uh...
1: Cambridge Apostles. Look no, no, Cambridge no. Cambridge.
0: I was thinking of the, uh, the economist guy. Where the heck is he? May- and-
1: Keynes, Maynard Keynes.
0: Yeah, so why the heck am I not finding him in my database right now? He should be right here, and he's usually right here. But as far as I remember, he was part of the London School of uh, Economics.
1: I, I could grab the book. It's about five uh, Here years it
0: is. This. Here, let's see. So Fabian Society Century Club, and then he's part of the New School for Social Research. Yeah, so tied with Gordon Wasson, M. Kilcher, Subproject 58, Fabian society. He's literally the guy
1: that came up with liberal economics,
0: right? Which is, you know, yeah, and and what they don't get is that all of this stuff is intentional, uh, intentionally promoted by a group called the uh, Fabian Socialists, who were into eugenics and population control, and so anything that they put out there was to promote eugenics. So Aldous Huxley was a Fabian, David Rockefeller, George Orwell h.g. wells uh sir victor well, you, into, you,
1: you could go into james bond even because james bond was written by ian fleming right ian fleming was a spy who actually was signed to uncover a lot of this stuff
0: so correct and so we have ian fleming in here as well he was at Eton college and he influenced alistair crowley the big satanist and he was mi6 so uh of course uh you know uh Alistair Crowley and and uh, Aldous Huxley were the two big ones. But, you know, Aldous Huxley really makes, in the end, Aldous Huxley really made Crowley look like a big, you know, pussy, a big wannabe Satanist compared right. to what he was doing. And then, uh, you know, above them is Hassani Sabah, and then we're right back into the Sufi Islamic Gnostics, you know.
1: Getting, getting back into the uh, Holy Grail, eventually that ends up being if you, if you want to read, the book is available as a Nazi text. And the Nazi, Nazi text is written by a guy who was archaeologist named Otto Rahn. And he goes in pursuit of the Holy Grail and from Mount Segura, and basically as a Gnostic idea. But that book is later picked up on by the people who came up with Indiana Jones. Uh, so the whole Indiana Jones tale is based on Nazi folklore uh, and, and this actual book that you can read.
0: And then, uh, Indiana Jones is based on, uh, what's his name? Uh, Richard Evan Schultes, dun, 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 who is the so-called discoverer of ayahuasca and, uh, uh, oh, what's uh, one of the other ones? But anyway, uh, Richard Evan Schultes, uh, he's one of the guys who then promotes the drugs and he was, you know, told, uh, Gordon Wasson about, uh, the magic mushrooms, along with Robert Graves, who was OTO, and then they launched the whole M. Kielter movement. But literally, Indiana Jones is based off of Harvard Botanical Library professor Richard Evan Schultes, who was going around South America digging up all of these plants and, you know, for you.
1: Check ca- out Cat
0: ca- ca- cataloging them for uh, the CIA for use in. Uh, to use them as suggestogens or for mind control.
1: Right. But check out, check out out and the Holy grail. It it's, it's where you get the, you'll see the similarities between the story of the original Indiana Jones and that whole Nazi, you know, into that and covering it and all that kind of stuff. It auto is, is represents this other version of the Holy grail, where it's actually a Gnostic wisdom text. Um, it's it. The, other, the thing that I, I'm trying to say here, though, is you go back and there's this basic falsification addressing the original question. You get this falsification of what was Logos, what wasn't Logos, and it's presented as if it's a, an idea that was completely foreign to Judaism, which just isn't true. And so when you see the birth of Christianity, it really isn't Christian against Jew. It's an internal Jewish argument that happens to spill out in a certain way where one one philosophical direction went one way, and the other philosophical direction went the other way. Christianity, in a sense, was at least attempting to be a a, a religion that continued the sacrificial worship that was originally part of Judaism, and Judaism itself went followed the Pharisees, which was basically a, a religion that was was a it, it was a religion without its sacrificial elements.
0: <clears throat> well, and, and it became inundated with uh, talmudic laws like you can't walk under a board through a hallway on sunday you know blah 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 and then right. jesus comes in and says you know we're we're missing the the truth or the logos or the natural law aspect of it and then he he says okay we're gonna fulfill the law right. or but what,
1: what also what always fascinates me again is I understand how intellectuals spin these things, but how do you convince Joe Average, who's really barely interested? He's barely, you know, Joe Average, the average Jew, the average Christian is just goes to church or synagogue on Sunday. He really just wants something a little efficating and uh, wants wants some peace of mind. And all of a sudden he goes and puts his trust into people. And all of a sudden his trust gets betrayed and he's all of a sudden he's being goaded into believing something you would never buy otherwise. Uh, that what, what I think emerges at that time period, and this, this is my second book on this, just to keep in paths, just to keep in Try I'm not trying to sell books, but I'm trying to address the concerns of the viewer, that this book is basically trying to take all the way back as what gave this movement legs. And I think what gave this movement legs is you see Anybody who studies Marxism has to confront at some point the idea of Hegel, that you have this dialectic where you have this pendulum swinging back and forth of unresolvable truths that both are, you don't think of one truth being true and the other one being false. You think of two truths clashing together and trying to weigh each other out of each other. This was a Pharisaic concept going all the way back. And so what you end up with is this idea this this What's being promoted is that you have truths that are internally irreconcilable. And so you have this Hegelian pendulum type thing that tries to resolve these things in some in a fairly unnatural way. So by the time you get to the 20th century, communism, Marxism is being promoted with this idea that truth isn't knowable. Right. And, and so what you, you go to college or you go to classes and all of a sudden you, you quickly realize that Truth itself is being considered a fascist concept.
0: Right. Well, you know, so, and then Oxford came out last year, or was it year before, saying we are now in the post truth era because right. you can't know truth. Rather than grasping that a contradiction is always a lie or an error, there are no contradictions in nature. You know, if you start from that basic premise or axiom, then you can know what truth is. And when you have that epiphany, that aha moment, when there are no more contradictions, you know you've arrived at the truth. But, you know, so what they've created through perennial philosophy and Sufism and quantum physics and all of this stuff, and way back in 2011 with David Harriman, I exposed how quantum physics, in my opinion, is a fraud. I know people don't like it when I say that term, but it's established to create a system of intellectual air quotes thought where you can't know anything for sure and if you can't know anything for sure you can't know truth therefore you can't know god so in effect it's satanism because right. it's the ultimate rejection of logos or truth
1: I think I think though I think you can also go back to a lot of people like for instance Freud. Freud literally was taking the Talmud and taking these these Jewish terms Jewish concepts and turning into modern psychology. You go into Carl Jung, Carl Jung is doing the same thing from a Christian standpoint. He's taking very occult concepts, giving them, uh, you know, in Jung's case, uh, he called it the collective unconscious. But the collective unconscious is just an occult term for the one mind that the one mind is all our thinking for us. It's what you might, if you watch Star Trek, would be the Borg or something like that
0: right well and, uh, and i i had on the original author of star trek too i used to be friends with him for 25 years george clayton johnson he wrote episode one
1: uh uh-huh. <laughs> and well and it, it, it seems like this mystifying wonderful place to be but the thing is mentally it's it's suicide it, it literally is. aquinas spoke about it that it, it this idea of and in fact the way aquinas attacked it he said you know what's the point of salvation if my mind doesn't come with me if I if I lose my thoughts, I lose the essence of who I am. And if I must relinquish them upon my death, well, what's the point of living forever? It's you know I I, I would have lost what the very thing that would have called, I could have termed as person as self. Uh, they don't see that.
0: So now what uh, Julia in the chat is asking is there an accurate untainted Bible out there? Which which translation do you two suggest? To assist in arriving at the truth. Now and then I'll let you answer this, but I'm going to jump in here. I use this software which I've been using for like 12, 15 years. It's the eSword software, and what I do is I pull up a citation in here, and then uh, you know I can just highlight it right here, and then I click over here on compare, and then all of the different Bibles that I have installed in here, which is all the, there's like 30 some in here, uh, then I can compare. What each translation says, and then right here under the KJV Plus, it's got the uh, Strong's concordance. Then you can look up the origin of the word and what it means, and you can also go over and get uh, you know notes and stuff on each of the of the you know biblical entries. But a number of these have oh well, at least that one did. I thought there was another one that had uh, Strong's. citations to it as well, but it helps to have one that has Strong's concordance involved so that you can at least look up the the origin. Now, I've got probably 25 different, maybe 20, 25 different uh, translations of the Bible in the other room, and then I held up this one earlier that we showed on screen, which is the uh, Apostolic Bible Polyglot, which puts the Greek, the English, the Greek, and the Strong's, good grief, man, if I can just get it in focus right there on each page. So that's pretty cool. But you know, that actually translates the Old Testament to the Greek rather than the Hebrew. So it's a very different Bible. But what do you uh, recommend?
1: Uh, I'm a big believer in Esword too. I was one of the first people to download Esword as a well, then we're
0: both on the same page i have been but using you
1: know, I prefer something I can hold in my hands though too
0: right well, and i I have a lot of copies, but you know this i've been using it since like two thousand three oh, wow. or four so
1: <laughs> right
0: you know and i you know there's other softwares out there and whatnot, but I also love the uh, k j v bible and the sixteen eleven k j v and
1: well there's an interesting story is that the first researchers that were assigned during King James' time period to come up with an authentic Bible translation, they realized the problem that was going on and that the Hebrew text was a problem. Unfortunately, almost every Bible you buy now, is, has, they're using the, the Hebrew text as the main text for the Old Testament. What the Catholic Church considered authentic is the, the researchers that King James kind of drove away and sent into France wrote this Bible called the Deux Arines. People will say I'm pronouncing that wrong, but if I say it the right way, people won't know what it is.
0: I think I uh, do. I have that one installed here. I thought I did.
1: It, they usually call it the DRB.
0: DRB, there it is. So yes, I do have it installed here, the DRB Bible. Right. So it's, yeah, and you know, and then folks like if you download this software and it is free, and you know, they ask for a donation. I recommend you donate a little bit to them. But then you can go just here.
1: So your viewers know it, in French. It's probably doing a raw. Okay. So, well, there's, you know. there's a dispute of how you pronounce how you actually pronounce reams, but Right.
0: So anyway, this thing here you can, you know, just like I said, compare it'll give you parallel citations in the Bible and whatnot, but you know, so I try not to read just one version of the Bible. I try to read them all or at least the better translations. Now, there are some like uh what's the uh the Schofield Bible is considered the most inaccurate, where the perennial philosophers, let's call them, had done their best to butcher and and take apart the Bible. Sure, and you
1: can get literal translations, but I would say the main thing is the Greek text. Greek Greek text holds philosophically. You can you can speak philosophically in Greek. It's pretty hard to speak philosophically in Hebrew because it's more of a symbolic language. Um. i I personally i don't have any real deep problem with the king james or anything like that but you have to realize like quintessential texts like was mary a virgin or was she a maiden in in hebrew she's maiden it's in the greek she's a virgin uh now some people have problems but
0: if jesus was referring to the greek then she's a virgin
1: right (laughs) well now now but now you also have to go what philo's definition of virgin is different than most people's definition of virgin uh philo's definition meant virgin meant a learned woman and and philo really is the hebrew version he's the first one to to really document the idea of the hebrew version of logos so could be both could be i I, well you know if if if
0: if truth is incarnated it you know, it would have to come through its purest form possible, in my opinion.
1: And I don't disagree. But those those are the things that sane people can discuss and talk about. It's You can't discuss them if the text has been perverted.
0: Correct. So get all your Bibles. You know, and I have some uh, some of the more modern translations. Somebody sent me one a year or two ago. I can't remember his name. A huge study bible i think it was niv or one of the newer translations and it's one of the ones that's usually more attacked but the the notes that are on the bottom of each page and the descriptions of this thing are absolutely phenomenal you know and it's a really it's a really good bible too but Get one, read it, get another one, read it, get another one, read it, get them all, read them all, you know.
1: <laughs> and continuing to address the question. That well, was while written, you're
0: talking, I'm going to go get this other one that this guy brought me, and I want to show it too. So go ahead for a second.
1: Uh, so what I'm really trying to say, even by proving that the Dead Sea Scrolls, is that to get people to question whether this text written in Hebrew is the authentic text of the time of Christ. And what I did, to, as I pointed out, two other things I'd like to point out. Uh, there was a, a linguist in the last century named Joseph Yehuda, a, a very came up with his own lexicon of Hebrew and Greek and matched everything up, and came to the ultimate conclusion that Hebrew had to have been derived from Greek, that Greek was the older language. He wrote a text which was actually banned for quite a long time, Called Hebrew is Greek by Joseph Yehuda. I, when I first did this research about 15, 20 years ago, I had a, a hell of a time trying to find the text because you just couldn't find it anywhere. Now you can just download it. Uh, it's on archive.org. And With everything just, else. <laughs> yeah. And you can download it for free and check it out. Is that a, very, a lot of key Hebrew words were derived from Greek? which puts into suspect which is the older language. The other thing that I brought up to the, to the viewer that asked me the questions is there's been a long-standing thing that, that Matthew was writing to a Hebrew audience. And so the conjectures have always been that originally Hebrew, you know, Matthew must have been written in Aramaic or in Hebrew or something like that. And that inevitably comes up when people question things like that. Not too long ago, the, the, the Hebrew version of Matthew was found. And you can buy the book. Uh, let's see here. It's called the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the text was compiled by George Howard. It was actually used originally as a defense of Hebrew. The, 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 the Jewish uh, people that produced the text were using it initially to prove that Catholicism was wrong. But they found out exactly what I'm saying, is that when they came down, push came to shove, they found the Hebrew text was actually based on the Septuagint. <laughs> and so the, the thing, in almost any direction you go, whether it's the Dead Sea Scrolls, or you go, you go to just comparing the actual phrases, or you go all, you're going to find that the, he, that the Hebrew text is not authoritative. The Greek text is the authoritative text.
0: Which explains this polyglot Bible Bible here. Now, this Bible that this guy sent me a year or two ago is an NLT Bible. It's the application study Bible, large print, and I love this Bible. It's freaking awesome. But I normally wouldn't go for an NLT translation, but uh, at the, you know, at the start of each chapter and at the bottom of every page, it's got extensive notes and history, and it's one of the most thorough Bibles I own, and uh, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, and like I said, you know, if you have questions, just check the other translations and, and the Strong's Concordance and try to get the gist of what everything means. And when you look in Strong's, follow it all the way down to the origin of the word. You know, so, you know follow each link down through so that you grasp the meaning of the
1: original word. An example would be manna. Right. Uh, people are constantly trying to you know manna bread from heaven but the in in support of scholastic philosophy which is logos uh the original, the actual first translation of manna is not bread it's what is this stuff.
0: Right. Literally what is it? And, and so, so oh, this is where Carl Rock and uh uh Dan Merker and these guys come up with well it was a drug you know it was mushroom it was air god it was this and it was that. So you know but that's but, literally where they interject
1: the whole uh, you go you, but you go to seminary and they're going to tell you that they're going to tell you that the aristotelian texts were all Europe was deprived the western hemisphere except through islam was deprived of all the aristotelian text and all the aristotelian reason and so they didn't know what it was but if you actually do the research you'll find out the west had all the aristotelian texts what they actually first discovered and threw everybody into a tizzy is when they got the Islamic translations, the word for what is this? And you got to understand. What,
0: and, and Strong says literally a whatness, so to
1: speak. Right. And now you look at Aristotelian philosophy, you look at Aquinas, the essence of that thing is what is, is whatness. Is well, that-
0: interestingly, check this out. So then we're back at the trivium. A, prim- a primitive particle properly... Inter interrogative: What, how, why, when? Right. See, that, right. And so so it's you, who, what, where, when, why, and how, folks. That's so what right. manna now, means. Right. So <laughs> and now,
1: now you have to tie this together to the Christian Eucharist because the Christian Eucharist is basically taking the bread, and it, it. And so you you have to be familiar with Aquinas theology, but Aquinas theology is basically tying to Aristotle, which the quintessential thing is what what is whatness? How do I know what something is? How do I handle that? What logical forms does this take? When they found the, the Islamic text on Aristotle, they, they had interpreted this as mani. But when you follow it through, the Muslim was just a perversion of the original term manna. So you, you do get biblical very early on. You get this idea of whatness, which carries through to the scholasticism and the, lodges, you know, the Logos of that period. It all tied together at one point, but they refused to see it.
0: Well, you've always got interesting tidbits to tie uh, tie together and bring things full circle, you know?
1: <laughs> it's I try. <laughs> so uh, uh,
0: did we answer the question that we started with, how Gnosticism I, I took think, over? I
1: think the real question is that people, for some reason, don't make the connection between Gnosticism and why a, an authentic language has any bearing on that. But what they, what these, the Gnostics needed, that what these New Age, if you want to call them that, theologians needed, is some way to the, legitimize their thought process. So, as I said in the beginning, what they were trying to do is using Gnostic Christianity to somehow authentic Gnostic Judaism, and therefore cloud the whole idea of what the original language was at that time period. Therefore, they could say, uh, well, the authentic theology of that time period was genuinely Gnostic. We're going to dis- we've just discredited all this stuff. The book of John wasn't written at the year 100. It was written in the year 180 or so when Gnosticism was great. All this stuff has been debunked. But uh, you go to the average seminary, they're not going to debunk it, and they're not going to tell you the actual story. They don't know it, and for some reason, they refuse to see it.
0: And all of this was intentionally done. Satan is, uh, you know, the devil is in the details, literally, to get people away from following Logos, reason, truth, the word, and get them caught into following will, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, a law.
1: It It seems odd to me, and you've seen it in my book on the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was in Life magazine. It was in Look magazine. Oh
0: no, no, no! That's not that's not anything weird because who ran Life? Right. So here, just hold that thought, you know. And for those who don't know, okay, so let's pull up. They open.
1: They openly admit that it's Marxist. They're, right. they're bragging that it's a Marxist solution.
0: So Life magazine is uh, uh, owned by Henry Luce, C. D. Jackson. Okay, where where yeah. was? Where was Gordon Wasson's uh, "Seeking the Magic Mushroom" with Maria Sabina and all promoted? That was Live Seven. That was MK Ultra Subproject uh, 58. Uh, Gordon Wasson knew Henry R. Luce, who was uh, a member of the C- uh, the CIA front organization, the Century Club. He was a member of the Council. In fact, where else would they publish it?
1: And, and published in Look magazine.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if you look can read the
1: top here. None of this stuff I'm making up. If you can read the top,
0: hold on a second. I, hold on. Let me. Okay. Okay. So go for it.
1: Well, I mean, all this is documented in look magazine. All this, this Marxist takeover of Christianity was common things. They admit to the whole thing. Uh, you, granted you have to tie a few dots together a few links, but the, all the essential information of, of this takeover was well documented and well published. We just ignore it. And you know, I'm not trying to belittle the Jews in this. They're re- like I said, when they're talking about the Jews and Christians, this, this early 60s, they're really talking about the Gnostic branch of Judaism, the Gnostic branch of Christianity. You know, getting in league with each other to overturn both.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, which was probably behind the scenes being pushed and promoted by. The Sufi Gnostic Islamists, in my opinion, but that's a I, whole other. I point. don't
1: like. I said I'm only. I don't know. I, well, people people can that. go I, back I, and see I don't know my I don't know much about that.
0: Well, they can go back and see my shows with Todd and uh, the recent three shows with Todd and Lloyd about that, and they'll they'll understand why I'm alluding to that because you know that the the, the Sufis Sufism Sofism is where it all you Know ties together the sophists, the Sufis had to create the the best lies to manipulate people, and then of course, we're told that it's not really from Sophia, but it, it is so d- deep down in there. Uh, all quote, uh, goddess uh, Sophia uh, worshipers,
1: not I, like I said, I'm not that up on Muslim stuff, but it, it seems to me a lot of this goes to the word assassin, even.
0: Well, sure. Where, and I mentioned Hassani Sabah a bit ago, right? That's right. that's the and, assassins.
1: Right, but most people disregard the fact that "iscariot" is a perversion of the word "sicariot," which that if you read in the book, that "sicariot" actually is another version of the word "assassin." Right,
0: Um, which we talked about in our first episode together. Correct.
1: Right, right, and all, and then you get to the 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 old man of the the Muslim, old man of the mountain, where the if there is no truth, everything's permissible.
0: Do it thou wilt is the whole of the law. Right. So then we come full circle, and uh, you know, and then this is the the core of this stuff: uh, Islamic spine, the Good Assassin. It's the art of infiltration and assassination. He influences Aldous Huxley, Aleister Crowley, Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary even went on the Husani Sabah pilgrimage in uh, the Middle East. Uh, Kenneth Anger emmanuel swedenborg um zorser uh, the uh, sabbatians uh, follow this line of thinking with uh, Sabbatai Zevi, etc right. and then uh you know and of course they're accused of being jews they were islamic converts who did a lot of stuff to get the jews blamed for everything Sabbatai were... Zevi was right well you you know and those who follow them today but you know and then uh And I'm just going to show this on screen one more time because it seems like we can't ever show it enough, but I'm going to show the definition of Baphomet on screen here so that people can understand where that comes from. And uh, so Baphomet is a name, a form of the name Muhammad used by medieval writers, alleged name of the idol, which the Templars were accused of worshiping. Right. And so... uh,
1: The whole Holy Grail thing too. Right.
0: So abbreviation of Templi... Amonim, hominem, pa uhas or abbot, the father of the temple of peace of all men, Baphometic. And so this is, you know, Baphomet, the Satan satanic god is actually Muhammad, the, the Satanists are our closet closet Muhammadans. That's the big the big shh. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so do you have anything uh, more you want to add here?
1: uh that i think i unless i'm wrong i think i've answered the question i it's i think the whole thing is like i said making the connection where the it, where you delegitimize the language basically what they're trying to do is legitimize this whole gnostic way of thinking by discrediting real stories real things uh, the way I think the average person in the streets is perverted on this is simply because you take things that are factual, even reality, where you say, you know, I can feel the wood in the wood, and then you go to school and they say, wood doesn't exist, it's all in your mind, or the red is not in the rose, it's all in your head, Right. that somehow eventually you have this whole idea that reality isn't, you can't trust reality. And whether you learn the whole Gnostic path or not, you're well on the way by that time
0: correct and that's all done intentionally so you want to read john one or
1: uh let me see if i can find it quick
0: talk talk among yourselves for a second all right well (laughs) talk among ourselves me (laughs) myself and i so let's see thank you thank you for the compliments please post up your super chats and whatnot uh Please support the show, logosmedia.com. Always could greatly use your support and much appreciate it. Go ahead and uh, kick it off. If you want, we can take turns at some of this.
1: I'll read. Uh, What I'd like to do, though, is this is in liturgical church. This was considered the last gospel. It was written, it was listed as the last thing to read in virtually every service. The only service that they didn't read it was Christmas one. The reason they didn't read it for Christmas one is because it was the gospel. So they didn't read it twice. All right. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then at this point, everybody would incline or genuflect. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for that. Good place to wrap it up. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for your participation. Again, logosmedia.com. That's actually probably my favorite Bible uh, passage, but John is also my hands-down favorite biblical author too. Guy's mind blowing. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight, Steve. Much appreciated.
1: Thanks for reading that.
0: And uh, I put uh, links to Steve's books in uh, in the uh, show notes, so make sure you go and buy his books and support Steve's work. And we'll have to have you back again sometime soon, Steve. Thank you. All right. And good night, everybody. Thanks so much. And uh, see you next week. Take care.